Everyone, welcome to another episode of Better in Bed, the podcast where we talk about sex and inspire you to get better at it. I'm Sarah, and I'm a certified sexologist and coach, and I help people like you overcome shame, explore their sexuality, and communicate more meaningfully about sex. Now, I know some of you listening to this podcast love the tips, stories, and insights that we dish out about sex on the podcast. So if you want that more regularly in your inbox, do drop by my website, sarasense.com, and join my email community. You'll get some special resources and insights that I don't share anywhere else but on email. So... Today, we are talking about all the ways that self-love can fuel a better sex life. And joining me in the studio today, first, I want to welcome my co-host and friend, Emily Tan. And Emily is a Malaysian health coach and educator. She's the co-founder of Viva Vertical, which is an aerial and pole academy. And she's also the creator of the podcast, Tackling Minds. Say hi, Emily. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so nice to have you on here. Finally, after <laughs> listening to Better in Bed for yes, a long, um, long, long time. You're right, you're right. I should say that I should say that Emily is also a very dedicated listener to this podcast, so I'm very happy to have her on. Tell everybody what is your podcast about. It's called Tackling Minds. I think people would love to hear a little bit more about that. Oh, thank you for bringing light to Tackling Minds. Tackling Minds from the name itself will probably give you the idea of Oh, I need to tackle some mental stuff, probably. What started as a podcast to showcase stories of resilience has now transformed to something where it's an advocacy to unlock emotional strength. And that in itself has also inspired an in-person experience as well as digital project called Mental Muscle. And my personal overarching goal here is to help humans realize that we're all more similar than we are different. Basic needs aside, we all have the same basic emotional needs. We all want to feel desired, respected. We want to be loved and cared for and vice versa. We want to be able to show that we love and care and that we're humans without being called crazy or too intense. As I'm sure if you're listening at some point in life, you probably have been called some of that labels. I'll call someone else crazy or intense. You want to be validated and seen, right? I think that fundamentally for humans, we want to be heard, we want to be seen, and we're social beings. Big part of mental muscle and why I want to do this is to bring communities together. Now, the word community has probably been overused over time. Like, oh, okay, if you have a gym and you have 50 members, your community is 15 people. But that's not really the true meaning of community. And I want to expand on that, where we bring people together who have aligned interest and pursuit for growth, for connection, for lateral development, be it in self-development, be it in career development, or even love development. And love development encompasses everything in your interpersonal relationships as well as relationship with ourselves. I didn't read this as part of your profile, but Emily is also a cancer survivor. And she talks very openly sometimes about her journey with that as well. So maybe I should ask you the next question in terms of what inspired you to become a sexual and mental health advocate. I think the big pivoting motivator is definitely being open about the cancer experience. And it's only since I was open about the cancer experience, because I mean, not gonna lie, when I first heard the news, the first thought was, I'm gonna go in hermit mode and not talk to anyone while I deal with this myself. Only to then realize, well, the reason why I've never really heard of acute myeloid leukemia is because no one talks about it. Wouldn't it be great if someone had talked about it and talked about the symptoms and talked about what their lifestyle was for us to then realize and be able to empower ourselves with the tools to pick up when we start to feel off and we start to feel like, oh, something's wrong, 
But maybe I'll just like power through it thinking, oh, that's just weaknesses talking. And no one wants to be weak. So that was a big proponent of why I started talking about it. And through the journey of talking about it, I had the privilege to connect with so many people who are battling health issues, not just cancer, but all kinds of chronic illnesses. These are disorders and health illnesses that people don't see. You see someone with a broken arm because they have a cast on. You see someone with a broken leg, they got crutches on. But you don't see anyone dealing with something like depression. You don't see anyone dealing with the repercussions of ADHD. You don't see someone dealing with hormonal imbalances and how that affects everything else in the nervous system and their relationships. No one talks about these things because they're widely not accepted, haven't been accepted until maybe today. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think through sharing about your cancer journey, that's actually how we got in touch yes. as well, oh right? Oh my gosh, so, yes. I, I guess. At the time, yeah. I was having issues, of course, uh, with my relationship and with my own experience with sex because I've always been sexually active. I wouldn't maybe talk about my association with sex right now because it was definitely toxic and unhealthy. But at the time, I didn't feel the same access to validating myself with sex because that's my pattern is self-validation through sex. Not exactly pleasure, but more of a validation. So when I sought out someone who can help me with it, because I sought out a functional medicine coach to help me with my health and fitness and all, and I had psychologists to help me with the mind and emotions, but I didn't have anyone to help me with sex so when i reached out to you it was because i heard you from uh from hong kong confidential podcast actually oh, with jules okay. yeah yeah and she had connected us and well. i'm until today i'm still so grateful that you know mm -hmm. you agreed to meet and then the first gift ever that's so life-changing was the gift that you gave me which is a womanizer <laughs> which i know i probably overuse it because it's no longer it no longer works today but luckily you know <laughs> womanizers have been supportive and yeah and now i have I, An I, array of it. I thought giving you the gift of pleasure <laughs> through oh, you your cancer journey. Did. That um, is that is the important gift. Yeah. gift. Yeah. Actually, now when friends ask me, um, you know what? Like, he or she, someone in their family is dealing with cancer right now. What can I do for them? What, what should I do for them? It's, I say, look, everyone is different. I don't know that person as well as you do. But if you look at it from that point of view of what are they maybe lacking now that they don't feel like themselves anymore. Could it be touch? Get them a really nice, comfortable, fancy blanket or a pillowcase. Or if it's a, you know, regardless of what gender they are, there's a sex toy for everyone. You're right. I think like sometimes we think about cancer and often the focus is so much on survival, right? Like we're trying to survive the disease and sometimes we don't really think actually it's also equally important to still be able to have avenues of pleasure where we're going through that entire journey. Absolutely. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head right there because my priority at the time was how do I survive this shit? How do I beat this? Mm -hmm. Rather than, oh, how can I focus on my partner? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or for yourself, like how can you pleasure yourself? Mm -hmm. I guess like sometimes you're thinking that's kind of the last thing on your mind. It's also how we yeah. felt. Um, mm -hmm. For example, with my medication, I had lost my hair twice. And in that stage of hair loss as well as growing the hair back out because then you feel like a five-year-old boy. You don't feel the sensuality the same way when you had long hair and you had attached yourself to long hair being sensual and being your feminine hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the relationship between self-love and mental health for you, Emily? At the basic level, it is self-care. And self-care encompasses, for me, if I sleep well, I can function well. If I function well, I can connect well. If I can connect well, then great. We can sex well. I can't wait to carry on our conversation about this. But let's just take a quick break while I introduce our first sponsor for this episode. Mira Fertility is a tracker that can help you achieve any fertility goal, whether that's trying to conceive, learning your cycle, or avoiding pregnancy. I'm actually someone who loves tracking her cycle just because I like knowing why I'm feeling extra horny at certain times of the month. 
And unlike other fertility trackers, Mira measures your unique fertility hormone levels. So we're talking estrogen, progesterone, and LH to personalize your ovulation prediction and deliver insights with 99% accuracy. And all of this tracking syncs up automatically with the Mira app too. So order the Mira Starter Kit or a Mira Plus and Confirm Bundle. And if you use my promo code Better in bed when ordering online from miracare.com, you'll get 10% off. The Mira Fertility System will help you take the guesswork and stress out of ovulation tracking. So make sure to order your kit today at miracare.com. That's M I R A C A R E.com with code Better in Bed for 10% off. So, Emily, I know you are a big advocate of masturbation because that, as you can tell from all my Instagram posts yeah and also from what you just said in terms of sex toys I'm very glad that you love the sex toy that I gave you but I really want to know since we're talking about self-love how has masturbation specifically helped you embrace self-love masturbation for me had always been something that I need to carve out time for and if I don't carve out time and I don't do it, it becomes, well, it doesn't get on my priority list. So if you look at it from that context, you do need to prioritize your well-being in order to practice self-pleasure and to practice self-care. For me, masturbation is equivalent to prioritizing the care for ourselves. That was not something that I was educated on nor was I exposed to for like the longest time, not until I was 32, which is, you know, for some people, it's, a, it's really late of an age. But like you said, it's, it's never too late. Never too late to start exactly. being educated about sex. For I mean, sure. I'm yeah. totally excited about my current pursuits <laughs> of sex and intimacy and relationship and all things encompassed. But it's only since this journey that I realized masturbation is an outside act. It's probably, if you look at it from a pyramid standpoint, it's on the top of the pyramid. But what's in the bottom pyramid? What is the foundation that has to be laid for you to get to a stage to actually touch yourself and to be engorged in that experience? While we're on the topic of solo sex and self-love, I also want to tell everyone about our next sponsor. Beducated is an online course platform that is the number one resource for sexual health and happiness. On the platform, you'll find a huge library of video courses and guides from top experts with techniques to level up your sex life, covering everything from Tantra to kink. I've taken quite a few of their courses, including their course on Yoni or Vulva Massage, and I found it very easy to follow. And I learned these amazing sensual massage practices that I could do by myself or with a partner to deepen my connection with my vulva. So this practice of yoni massage or vulva massage is still one of my favorite practices for self-love and self-care, which is what we're talking about today. So if you're someone with a growth mindset around sex, who's curious and wants to learn, you can join Beducated with just $9.99 per month or get 65% off their yearly pass with my code BETTERINBED. All you have to do is go to beducate.me forward slash better in bed and your discount will be locked in for life. So my guest for today is no stranger to the show. She's one of my favorite people and I'm actually super honored to have uh, popped her podcast cherry because my podcast I think was the first podcast that she was ever on. <laughs> And now she's a highly sought-after speaker. She is dating and relationship coach, hypnotherapist, and sexpert, Valentina Tudos. Welcome back, Valentina. Hello, and <laughs> thank you for popping my cherry. <laughs> At least you still got some <laughs> cherries to pop. <laughs> I'm very honored. <laughs> well, you know, I can't remember the other time when someone popped my cherry said suddenly the one that you popped was definitely more memorable and a lot more meaningful in my life so thank you that's 
it was documented. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was documented. I popped in in front of everybody listening. <laughs> well, it was quite a significant disclosure, shall we say. You know, it, it wasn't just uh, my first time on a podcast, but it was uh, one of the first times where I publicly spoke about my open relationship and my propensity for open relationships. And I think that definitely changed a lot of things for me. Yeah. And that's led to like your amazing TEDx talk now that's been very popular and well downloaded, right? About It seems to be. Yeah, about More embracing unconditional love. Well, part of uh, that whole talk was really inspired by what we discussed in that first podcast mm-hmm. that we did together. Mm-hmm. Because as much as your podcast is one of the top 10 Guardian sex podcasts and lots and lots of people are listening to it, I thought that obviously the TED platform would require or would reward more listeners and viewers. Fantastic, yeah. So I'm very grateful that yeah. most people see that whole story as a positive, yeah. uh, inspirational yeah. talk. Yeah. Even though it's controversial. There have been some haters. But you know what? Good on Ted for putting up ideas that are sometimes maybe non-mainstream and bringing that to a wider public. I think that's great. So on to our topic of self-love. You know, I would really love for maybe all of us to take a go at answering this first question, which is how do you define self-love and why does it matter? For me, the journey of learning how to love is ultimately a journey of loving how to love and accept ourselves more, right? So the love that we seek in others, the reason why everyone on this planet needs a partner is because through partnerships, through loving others and through being loved by others, we discover and accept those parts of ourselves that otherwise we would never know. Earlier in the conversation you had with Emily, one thing that stuck with me was she said, oh, you know, people call you crazy. You said something about uh, to intense, being called crazy, being intense. You know, all these judgments become ways we define ourselves. And many, many of my clients tell me, oh, this person told me that I was arrogant or this person told me that I was too bitchy or something like that. And, you know, these are just random people who tell us something, but most of us feel that really deep. A client yesterday was telling me, oh, you know, that comment stuck with me. Well, you know why it stuck with her? Because deep down, she believes that about herself. And without that person showing that part of herself to her, she would never learn to embrace it. So for me, self-love is really not about necessarily dismissing it when other people call you a certain way, but to say, yeah, you know, there are times when I am crazy. And there are times when I am intense and there are times when I'm jealous and when I'm angry and when I'm bitchy and whatever. But I can love that part of myself. I can accept that it gives me something. Part of my personal discovery about self-love, my pet peeve was stupidity. I used to be so annoyed by people who are stupid. I still am a little bit, to be honest. And then I realized by reading a book that... The reason I was so annoyed by other people being stupid was because it reminded me of a time in my life where I thought I was stupid. Someone called me stupid. I took that in very, very deeply at a very deep level. And I made myself a promise never to put myself in a situation where I would feel so stupid again. And until I realized that that decision, which happened sometime at the age of 14, actually brought me to the life that I have today accepting that stupid part of me and accepting that it gave me this incredible gift of making choices that would put me in a situation where I would look good and feel good and not feel stupid. It also helped me accept that there are times when I do a lot of stupid shit, really. I realize now and it was um, such a revelation. So for me, self-love is about allowing other people to reflect these parts of ourselves that we normally reject and bringing that part back in, loving that part of ourselves. I can't say that I enjoy being stupid, but if I make that judgment sometimes, I kind of do it with more compassion and more love and to say, you know, it's okay. Hmm. And also I think it gives you more compassion for other people, right? So such an interesting thing, like the things that were so hard on other people for are actually 
because we're hard on ourselves for. And that's exactly how this mirroring works, right? Mm -hmm. Other people show us parts of ourselves that mm -hmm. we do not embrace, that we reject, basically. Every time we judge ourselves or, oh, I shouldn't be angry or I shouldn't be stupid or I shouldn't be jealous, we're actually rejecting that part of ourselves. So the way I see it, if you can imagine this, I imagine that each person is like a puzzle and there are some bright pieces that we love, you know, our qualities, the way we describe ourselves, you know, I'm resilient, I'm a winner, I'm a fighter, whatever. But there's also dark sides. And every time that we make a judgment or we internalize someone else's judgment, I feel like we're breaking that piece of the puzzle and we're throwing it away because we don't want to see it. We don't want it to be part of our identity. And what happens if we keep rejecting all parts of ourselves? the picture becomes tiny and messy and we're just not seeing clearly who we are. So self-love, learning how to love yourself, is really to go and find those pieces of the puzzle that you've thrown away or you didn't even know were there mm -hmm. and just bring them back together so that your whole identity is complete. Oh, that's so beautiful. That is. I was yeah. visualizing it the whole time. Like, ooh, okay, <laughs> jigsaw puzzles. Yep, yep, yep. Definitely have lost quite a few pieces out there. Yeah. It sounds like an adventure. They go on a hunt. Exactly. It's a treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Discovering yeah. new parts of yourself Amazing. or parts that you have rejected is really the most beautiful part of life. Mm. And we have to be grateful to our partners yeah. to bring that up for us. And even not just partners, but, you know, uh, an angry boss, someone who judges you, parents, all of this is designed, I think, in my philosophy to help us understand and accept who we truly are and to show it to other people, to be proud of that. So many of us, when we reject that, we kind of try to make up a little story about how we are this like strong, amazing person. And your cancer journey is... Well, it's, no, it's not foreign to you. I mean, you've had your fair share of I think, Adventure. yes, <laughs> definitely. But, you know, let's not make this about cancer. I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. Actually, one thing that was uh, was coming up for me, uh, I had breast cancer. So when I first heard it, I was like, oh, my God, okay, am I going to have to lose my boobs? You know, that they are such an important part of, you know, my anatomy and also my, my identity that I remember when I woke up from the surgery. So I had a, a small lump removed from my breast. I didn't uh, lose my breast. The first question I asked the surgeon was like, how much did you take? But the best part of it is because it was so small, I actually had sex five days after that surgery wow. while I still had a drain in that thing. And this wow. was sex with a new partner. Ooh, wow. wow. I went on a date and I had sex on the first date, literally with the drain inside my bra. I said to him, like, just so you know, oh I just had cancer surgery a week ago or like five days ago. Amazing. And yeah, I feel quite good. So because my body was still there yeah. as I wanted it yeah. to be, you know, so um, I think that really gave me, you know, that whole validation. I don't know if I did it for validation. I did it just because there was like a lot of chemistry and attraction. And I decided to like, well, you know what, I'm not going to let this little thing, like a big ball of pus coming out of my, <laughs> of my surgery wound, stop me from having a great sexual experience. That's a... Brave <laughs> demonstration of self-love right there. And that is a brave thing to do, I think. Because, you know, most times when... I mean, sometimes even when I have a big pimple, okay? Like, not even talking about a drain coming out of my breast. It's like, I don't want to have sex with my partner. I just don't feel sexy. You Dude, know what I mean? Like I feel you. <laughs> when I was wearing a wig and yeah. my first sexual encounter after like a long time, and I could not focus on... The chemistry shared, I was only focusing on my wig. Mm -hmm. I was so preoccupied like, oh my God, okay, if we do in this position, the wig is going to come off. I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to look silly. He's going to get turned off. I'm going to get turned off because I'll be uncomfortable. Because you will feel judged and rejected. You will feel judged and rejected because I was judging myself and I was rejecting myself. And in that one, you know, few minutes of my life, I'm sorry, a few minutes, no, one few minutes of my life. Hopefully it was more than a few minutes. <laughs> okay, in the 10 minutes of my life. <laughs> I, for once, felt like such an alien. I felt so out of my own body. I was observing everything. I was so caught up with my own thoughts. So and I bet it wasn't a great sexual experience. 
for him it was different probably but mm. for me it was not even the sexual you weren't in your body i was totally not in my body i was in my wig the yeah. wig had all of my energy <laughs> <laughs> but this is so interesting, I think, from this perspective of loving and accepting yourself. And this morning, as I was reflecting on what we're going to talk about, this thought came to my mind. I don't know if you guys know, there's a philosopher and a writer called Alain de Botton. You know him? I love him. Total fan. I watch a School of Life videos all the time. All the yeah. time. So yeah. you know when he talks <laughs> about why is sex so weird mm. and what is the meaning of sex and why do we all feel so weird? Because actually the meaning that I make of what he talks about is sex is about acceptance, is about another person showing us that the parts of ourselves, which I don't know, culturally we've been told are bad and disgusting and horrible and smelly and yucky and whatever, dirty, are actually loved by someone else, accepted by someone else. This is why oral sex is such a deeply intimate act way more than penetration in my mind mm -hmm. this is why so many women feel so self-conscious about having mm -hmm. someone's face inside their mm -hmm. crotch so it is because oh my god yesterday just yesterday i had a client who was telling me about had the fact that she really is disgusted by bad smells mm -hmm. like old people smells whatever and we all kind of regressed it back to an experience that she had when she was nine years old changing clothes after swimming class in school and in a kind of boys and girls changing in the same room using towels to hide themselves or whatever and a boy kind of went under her towel and said oh this one stinks oh wow and that experience has essentially Scarred defined her. this person <sighs> oh. so as a result of that she said oh i asked her once how she feels about her body because she asked me, how does masturbation work? Because we were talking about masturbation, right? So literally in her 40s, the first time I met her as a client, she told me, how does masturbation work? And I said, which part? She said, well, all of it. I've never done it. I've never looked at my vagina. I don't know how it feels. And yesterday, it kind of uh, became clear why. Mm -hmm. Because she created this association with, oh, my God, that part of my body is absolutely disgusting. Mm -hmm. And I can't. I hate it. Mm. I cannot stand it. So if you think of that part of you, it's not just mentally mm. rejecting a part of the stupid crazy, but it's also that part of us is just seen as the ultimate evil. Yeah. And the mind is intelligent in the sense that it will do whatever it takes to protect you from of feeling course. rejected, from feeling mm -hmm. like there's a threat, the perceived threat. And what came up for me when you were talking about is that the fact that you removed the power essentially of what people might think is going to be a crutch or an absolute bomb of your identity. You removed the power of it and instead you made it uniquely you. Well, I guess this is part of the journey, like mm -hmm. figuring out how do you navigate this space. And each of us, I think, has a unique journey. We learn to love ourselves in many different ways. But, you know, I didn't actually know that I didn't love myself till about 42 the age of 42, oh, I yeah. kind of realized that, oh, there is definitely a major issue with how I think of myself on a very deep, very subconscious level. I mean, all of this, I believe that the journey of self-love and not feeling good enough is the ultimate driver for growth. Mm. Because if we all thought that we were amazing, nobody would move a finger to do anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. We wouldn't be bothered. Well, I think, though, it depends on how you use that insight, because I think sometimes people can also use that not feeling enough insight, and it can cripple them, and it can paralyze them, right? And of course, there are some people who use it as a driver for growth, but it just really depends sometimes how you translate that. It depends on our attitude, in my opinion. You can take the path of the victim, mm -hmm. I call it, you know, like oh, I couldn't do this, I wasn't giving opportunities, other people had more money, other people, I don't know, were giving more chances and so on. And forever think of yourself as I'm not good enough because I didn't have the right upbringing, the right parents, the right genes, whatever, right? Whatever story you make. Or you can say, well, yeah, I didn't have any of that, but I'm going to go and get it. Mm -hmm. So the hero journey, the victor mm -hmm. journey. Mm -hmm. 
and I've always been, because I've been through a lot of complicated yeah. situations in my life, I chose to become a fighter and I chose to go and get it. And it's like, oh, you don't think I'm good enough? Okay, let me go and show this to you. Yeah. So my story of I'm not good enough was I'm not good enough because I was a girl, because I knew that my dad wanted to have a boy. Mm -hmm. And somehow I felt discriminated against this whole women, men, men have all the power, boys could do things that girls couldn't do. Because literally my dad would tell me when I was a teenager, oh, you can't do that because you're a girl. And I was like, really? Watch me. Mm -hmm. And then I set out to prove to my dad and the world and to myself that I was better than a boy. Because in mm -hmm. fact, all my childhood, I wanted to be a boy. And why did I want to be a boy? Yeah. Because I thought that's what my dad wanted. I wanted his validation and appreciation. And the transformational part was at the age of 42, I was able to see that whole experience through very different eyes and to understand that that was actually my dad's way of loving me and protecting me. And I didn't know. Until the age of 42, I thought he was an asshole who was thinking that I'm not good enough because I was a girl. Yeah. Would you say that that's one of the hardest lessons that you've had to learn Definitely. about self-love? Definitely. Yeah. You know, learning that I was amazing because I was a girl mm -hmm. has been the transformation for me and kind yeah. of going out there and saying, you know what, actually, girls are yeah. The shit. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. 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 Dude, if we can birth humans through that canal, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it says a lot about one gender. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm. I love men clearly, mm. and I think that my relationship with men have always been very interesting, and it has been obviously about acceptance and approval. Like you, I have used sex for validation, mm -hmm. but as I discovered more how to embrace these parts of myself. I now seek relationships with people who are willing to provide an equal give and take. You yeah. know, we give each other pleasure, we help each other and so on. So, you know, mutual yeah. masturbation is one of my favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> You're practicing mutual self-love right there. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. it isn't just a one-person show. It takes two to the tango. Exchange. Yeah, it's an exchange. I think one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn about self-love is to kind of get over my sort of people-pleasing mindset because I think that was honestly how I was kind of brought up very passive uh you know do what people tell you <laughs> quite typically Singaporean I think maybe that was the framework as well that maybe my mother and set for me in some ways because she I would say is is a really really big people pleaser and for me that actually became quite I would say destructive for me after a while I think one was like it resulted in a lot of validation seeking behavior but it also meant that I really didn't have very good boundaries at all and I think I mean I hope that we're going to talk about boundaries because I feel like that is a really big part of self-love that I didn't have you it know is the path it is the path, yeah. And in almost all aspects of my life, I would, you know, in terms of work, I would be very much say yes to everything and then burn out, right? That would be my cycle. In terms of relationships, uh, same thing. I would like give, 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 give. But I don't think that I ensured in sometimes that I was getting enough back. And so that was also a lesson around boundaries that I needed to learn. And I think it actually comes down on a very deep level as this just kind of the need for approval for me from other people is very strong. And I would say even till today, I don't know if I'm totally over it. I would say I'm a recovering people pleaser, but you know, it's a constant work in progress. Absolutely. I was going to say exactly those words, but I don't know if it ever ends. And the way I look at my relationships with everyone today, lovers, friends, and so on, each person shows me this new space where maybe I haven't learned how to put down boundaries because boundaries are the ultimate path to self-love in the sense that if we're not educating the other people how to love us, it's a sign that we do not love ourselves in that way. So one of the biggest things, sorry, you were talking about earlier, is about being seen and being made to feel important. So being prioritized. I feel that 
once we allow another person to be in our life, but to keep us as a side piece or only call us when, whenever they feel like it, you know, whenever, whatever part of their cycle is that they're horny, by allowing it, we're essentially teaching that person that it's okay to treat us like that, to only put us in that box of just a person I call every now and then. To me, that's a reflection of, hang on a minute, this person is doing this to show me that I am not putting myself first. Because if I was putting myself first, I wouldn't be so available. I wouldn't allow this person to say, oh, can I see you Tuesday night? Oh, let me change my schedule to see you Tuesday night. Hell no. Mm. If you truly love yourself, you say, well, okay, let's discuss, let's negotiate. When is it working for me? But I'm not, if I truly love myself and I prioritize myself, it's not about me going, okay, you jump how high? Yeah. So I'm grateful to these people. Absolutely. You're taking I'm, ownership of the situations that sometimes you're not, you didn't ask to be put in. Exactly. But also then I can change my behavior. I can say, actually, you know what? This doesn't work for me. This whole dynamic that we have is not working for me. So here's what would work for me, the boundary. Mm -hmm. And if the person is willing to respect that boundary, we can continue that relationship. If they say, oh, that doesn't work for me, it's like, okay, that's the best sign of incompatibility. I don't need to keep this person in my life. I don't need to waste my energy on someone who's not respecting me. For me, everything is about respect and balance. Mm. And yes, the people pleasing, uh, I think in, in some ways is built into our biology as well, <laughs> because yeah. women are so giving, right? Yeah. It is part of the feminine energy to flow, to accept, to allow, mm -hmm. to receive, but also because we want to receive and we're not receiving enough, we just keep giving, 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 hoping that the other person will notice how amazing we are. But in that process, we're actually giving too much of ourselves yeah. and we're losing. Mm. Yeah. So boundaries are really what keeps us in the right space, if you like, mm -hmm. of yeah. recognizing what is an equal give and take. Yeah. You know, the word boundaries is still a term that sounds so new to me. Oh, really? And I yeah. only say that because I've never heard of the word boundaries used as much as we use today, mm -hmm. like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. definitely it's, not. It's such a yeah. fascinating thing to reflect on. Or not used as positively. Yeah. Maybe yeah. like when we heard it, it was more like, oh, that's, Limitations. that's a limitation. Correct, correct. Yeah, this yeah. is a fence, this is a wall, you mm. do not cross it. Mm. Uh, it's very military associated. Because what came up for me when you were talking about all that is, man, I wish I had heard all of this when I was 15. Let's bring the conversation about self-love to sex yes. because I really love to talk about the relationship between that because I think a lot of the themes that we've brought up so far, this idea of prioritizing yourself, boundaries, even like being open, honest, vulnerable with people, these are important themes, I think, when we think about our sex lives as well. And so I just wanted to ask you what, you felt was the relationship between self-love and a healthy sex life? Well, I think if you don't love and embrace your body, if you don't explore your body, if you don't know how your body feels good and where does it feel good, you just cannot have healthy relationships with others. Like I mentioned earlier, if you believe there are parts of your body that you cannot love, that you hate, that are disgusting... How are you going to be able to open yourself up and be vulnerable with someone else? You know, I'm working in the same field as you. I work with many people who block themselves from experiencing pleasure with others because they just simply don't know how to experience pleasure. They don't give themselves that permission. Yeah. So when you don't give yourself permission for something, you are rejecting that part of yourself. So the part of you that is horny and naughty or kinky or you know as we know sometimes people have fantasies that the others would judge very very harshly like yeah. you know being I think you were mentioning being um, kidnapped was that one of your uh, fantasies yes 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 yeah <laughs> I think I heard on one yeah, of your fantasy yeah. ones I guess like people would think of that and be like that's weird why would anybody want to have a fantasy like that but yeah you're right you shouldn't just Fantasies are not there to be judged. They're exactly. And nobody says that a fantasy of being raped means you're going to call one up, someone up yeah, and say, hey, come yeah. and rape me. Definitely mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. But the arousal process that happens, 
being able to have that fantasy without thinking, oh my God, this is horrible, mm. is I think part of self-love. As Absolutely. we were talking earlier about masturbation, I literally remembered my very first masturbating orgasm. Oh. And it was a Tell very, us. very strong experience. <laughs> so I can't even remember how I got to it, but I remember that actually my brother was sleeping in the same bed as me. He was my much younger. I think I was, must have been like nine or something. And I masturbated and kind of fumbling around, not knowing what the hell I was doing, but it kind of felt good, right? Yeah, so yeah, we, yeah. We, obviously we're naturally designed to do this. Yeah. And then I had this like mind-blowing orgasm, but I remember afterwards I felt a bit sick. Okay. And I don't know, now I'm realizing as we were talking that maybe that sick came from judgment, that mm. feeling of wrongness. You know, I mean, first of all, it was like mm. super mind-blowing first orgasm ever, really, really powerful. Mm. But then I remember literally feeling a bit of like a, this sickness in my oh, stomach. Yeah. yeah. So I, as we were talking about mm. it, the, you know, there's always pain after pleasure for sure. Mm -hmm. Some sort of pain, some mm -hmm. sort of discomfort. But I think it came from the fact that I knew I did something naughty. Mm. Oh, I've had tons of that. I mean, I grew up obviously very religious. I've talked about that so many mm. times. So the course, guilt, that guilt that I had, like when I first became even like, not even sexually active, but like just exploring myself. Mm. Like, yeah. So I think the journey of masturbation without guilt mm. is part of self-love, you yeah, know, because yeah. obviously physically and biologically, we do need to figure out what our buttons are. Yeah. And I know that my buttons are changing, you know, with yeah. age, you're yeah. exploring things that I wouldn't have even considered 10 yeah. years ago or 15 years ago, or 20 years ago. And you kind of, that's part of the amazing thing of getting older, yeah. as we were talking, not just uh, yeah. not worrying about children yeah. <laughs> and fertility, but really this ability if we're doing the right work in this space, mm -hmm. to embrace all these things that maybe other people judged and you thought, oh my God, I would never do that. Mm. So there's beauty in that because who else am I going to feel comfortable enough in exploring with but myself? Mm -hmm. If yeah. I don't give myself that permission to explore my body and to kind of go, well, let's try this one and see how this one works. I'm never going to do it with someone else unless they push me, which I wouldn't want to do. Because yeah. I don't like people telling me what to do for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. I think another thing that I've seen that is very common is this performance-based view of sex. And sometimes when I work with clients as well around that, I actually realize a lot of what it comes down to is when they say, oh, you know, especially women, by the way, oh, sex just feels like I'm going through the motions. It's just a performance. And then, of course, what happens after that is then they don't desire it, right? So then their libido goes down and then they become, you know, go into sexless relationships. That's usually when they come to me. To help, And yeah. then I have to like work backwards, work backwards, work backwards. And then I realized that a lot of the underlying cause for that is because my clients have just not prioritized their own pleasure in the sex that they're having. They feel either because of duty, of for obligation, for, I don't know, a host of other reasons, what they've seen on porn or whatever, that sex is just something for the other partner. And because of that, they, after a while, they just lose interest, right? Because if you're not doing something for yourself, you're not getting something pleasurable out of it right you're constantly doing it for the sake of somebody else then after a while you're just gonna start losing you start losing the desire for it dude i felt like you were talking about me there <laughs> <laughs> i, I yeah. feel like I would, this is me when i was younger okay reading like female magazines and how to keep your man and one of it is make sure the frequency of your sex is blah 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 and when you said that, it was... So it was a chore. It was a chore, exactly. It was the word I had used for like the longest time. And my first husband, who I was with for almost six years, I did not want to have sex with him at mm. no point. So common. It I'm sure, Sarah, you've got the same experience yeah. with so many people saying, I love this person, I like to cuddle with them, I want to spend the rest of my life with them, but I absolutely do not want to fuck them. Yeah. And at the time, I thought, maybe I just don't love him. Maybe I just like him from companionship. There are so many things that you think of on hindsight that are probably not true. But as we go, you know, down the line of thinking, prioritization, 
with the women I've worked with, and especially in the context of sensual dancing, lap dancing, because we teach it a lot in our mm. pole academy. And unfortunately, the marketing has always been, oh, do this for your man, do this for your partner. And now looking back, I wish I had changed that. I wish I had changed that to dance for yourself, move for yourself. Can you seduce yourself? Mm. Can you find your own buttons and, and hit those buttons? Your lingerie is for you. Your expensive lingerie is not really for anybody else because you have to approve you first. But you see, we have a big problem with this because we don't know how to love ourselves because we can't see ourselves from the outside, which is why we seek other people's love. Which is why it's a mirror, like you said. It is a mirror. So every single person, this is why performing is about acting for others. But it is putting on literally an act. That's why I don't like to perform in the bedroom. I just want to do me. <laughs> the most important thing that I want to learn about someone, like a new partner that I've been, might be dating, is their love language mm -hmm. and revealing mine. Like, because otherwise, how do we expect the other person to know how we like to be loved if we don't have boundaries, if we constantly chase them, do everything that they want, live life on their terms, mm -hmm. then we are just teaching them that it's okay what they're doing. I had this client a while ago who told me, oh, you know, it's so annoying because my husband keeps giving me these jewelry, like gifts and This woman never, I never seen her wearing any jewelry at all, mm -hmm. but her husband kept giving her gifts and she was like so frustrated. Mm -hmm. She was like, I just don't understand how he cannot see that I never wear this stuff that is just basically in a drawer somewhere. Mm -hmm. But just tell him, like, yeah. do you expect him to sort of read your mind that you are mm -hmm. not into gifts and that actually planning a picnic in the park would be yeah. so much more meaningful to you? Yeah. People do not read minds. This is the biggest thing that I tell everyone. And that is so true for, for self-love and so important. When you love yourself, you know that you have to be assertive, that you need to say, here's what would work for me. Here's how I feel mm -hmm. loved. Here's what you need to do. And that is so true in the bedroom, right? So true. So Especially true. in the bedroom. We're thinking, so yeah, true. he should know. I have a vagina. He should know where to lick. I'm like, mm-hmm. Not exactly. <laughs> not all vaginas are the same. Yes. And you know, you yes. if you don't know where do you like where do you like to be touched, where do you have your those sensitive mm -hmm. spots? Actually, I want to try that uh, fertility app just to see, or the no, sorry, the other educated, the educated, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure there's awesome. so much more that I we all can learn. Oh, I've learned stuff actually from educated, so I would definitely encourage you to take a look I at it. Definitely, well, yeah, use your podcast <laughs> discount <laughs> yes. for sure. I'm going home and educate myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the code? Better in this. Um, so I think that's really important point, And I would love to talk about that more, which is this idea of advocating for yourself during sex. And I feel like because we have such a big taboo and embarrassment and awkwardness around talking about sex, that we don't advocate enough. We expect people to be mind readers mm -hmm. in the bedroom. And as a result, we don't get the pleasure that we need in the bedroom. One of the thieves of self-love is mm. comparison. And I feel like often when we say the word, we should be doing this in the bedroom. We should be doing that during sex. I should be having more sex. Everybody else is having more sex than me. You know, should, 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 should. And we compare ourselves to maybe what we think other people are doing. I think that I think already sets up an unrealistic expectation, firstly, but also it just robs us of joy and pleasure in the bedroom. Well, it is because of these programs that are there. You were talking about customs and how do these... The cookie cutter templates. The well, they, these are social programs. Exactly. Scripts that are actually planted in our minds constantly from the day we were born kind of thing. You know, relationships should be like this. People should love each other like this. You shouldn't have sex like this. Mm -hmm. But you know my trick to this? My trick to really empowering myself to decide whether I am loving that part of me or not I take that should statement and I replace the word should with the word want. Mm -hmm. And okay. if when I say I want to have more sex mm. or I can think of, you know, I used to have more sex in my 30s. And it's not like, you know, like I can compare myself to myself, for example, but I could compare myself to other people. And if I say, oh, I should be having more sex with my partner. Well, 
if I say it, if I change that should with, I want to have more sex with my partner because it would make us more connected, it will bring back the spark and so on. Mm. If I feel that statement resonating with me and I feel my whole body kind of leaning into that statement, I know that I'm going to find the motivation to do it and I have the power to choose to do it. But if I feel like, I don't know, I should have sex with my husband because he's asking me, then that's not a, or I, I want to have sex with my husband because he's asking me. I'm like, nah, you know what? I don't want to do what because he's asking me. If I can shift that into say, actually, I would want to have more sex with my husband because whatever other explanation that I can give myself that comes from myself, it really changes everything. Autonomy changes everything. Intention changes. Choice. Yeah, having the choice, actually. Because right when you said that, it sounds like you have to love yourself to a point where you have to prioritize yourself to a point where you know you deserve to be shown that level of attention, care, desire, touch. Well, this is one of the core exercises in my self-love program that I've created recently. And it's something that I keep expanding, especially this exercise about defining your identity, which includes your sexual identity. This idea of listing in the program, but also I use this in individual coaching, listing all the things that you think you should do, mm -hmm. the things you need to do, be, or have, because I should be more, I don't know, slutty. <laughs> I like that. Mm -hmm. I want to I be like more slutty. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Let's Although, own that word. Let's yeah. own that word. Yeah. Yeah. I love being slutty, you yeah. know, reveal mm -hmm. your inner slut, I like mm -hmm. to call it. I mean, it. look at Halloween. That's <laughs> slut season, man. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but why can't you be that slut every day? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Especially in the bedroom. But, you know, coming back to this exercise of enabling you to create a path of self-love is really being very diligent with deciding how many of these shoulds, these expectations, are actually things that you want to do, things that you are feeling motivated to change in your life and how many of them is just this BS that has been placed there in our head by movies and this and that and the other. And it is really, really transformational. I, I see this in my clients because they come with, I don't know, 25 three pages of shoulds, this, I should do more of this, I should have more of that, I should think of it this way. And then once they do this exercise and they check in with their body, you know, we were talking about the importance of the body and feeling deep, the, the deep connection between your mind and your body, they realize that actually they can delete the vast majority of those shoulds and just focus, you know, and we feel so overwhelmed these days and we overthink everything. Well, this is simply because we are putting all these expectations on ourselves. And if you just use this simple exercise, you can let go of 90% of the shit that is creating all the trouble in your life, the anxiety, the mental issues that we're having, which are all self-inflicted, really. I mean, of course, the rest of the world is not helping, but it's what we make of it. Right? We have anxiety and issues because we're constantly worrying about the outside and not spending enough time feeling, being. We're constantly thinking of doing, and that's messing with our mind. So, this exercise of really empowering yourself to decide I want to do these five things and I want to do this wholeheartedly. And those things really are about self discovery and self love. I think you're a winner. <laughs> Dude, I got to get yeah. on this course here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great course. One of the practices that has been so helpful for me for self-love is changing the way that I talk about myself to myself. Exactly. Like changing that. And, you know, even like, even something as simple as like, I can't do this. I never try to say that. I say, I'm having difficulty doing this right now, but I'm working on it or it's going to come. It's like even like something small like that makes a big difference for me. So I have a strategy that mm -hmm. I can share. Okay. Which is also in my program and it's also one of the most defining things that you mm -hmm. can do. So this voice that mm -hmm. we have in our head, our inner critic, is actually a defense mechanism, right? It's a what in hypnotherapy we call an inner child. So a young version of us who was created, you know, a bit like an imaginary friend that was there to stop us from getting ourselves into trouble. So it constantly gives us these negative messages to stop us from getting hurt. That's what it was designed to do originally. But then we gave it too much power. 
we listened to it and we stopped ourselves from doing things just because this negative voice keeps going on in our head. There are two ways of dealing with your inner critic. One of them is to become the authority figure, to say, shut the fuck up, I'm the boss now. I'm the big girl, I know what to do. All that stuff that you're telling me is not true. So delete, cancel the old belief system and affirm the new belief system. This works, but it's slow because this is a program that has been running in your subconscious mind for 30, 40 years, however old you are, right? So I choose to, which is also a self-love practice, I choose to deal with my inner critic with love to say, even if it sometimes gives me all these negative messages, I first of all, I say thank you. Say thank you for giving me this information. Thank you for always being there trying to protect me. I love you. I know you love me. So what can I learn from this? You know, the magical question is, what can I learn from this experience? How can I do it? Give me some insights of how can I do it in a more positive way. And the moment you shift this in your mind, because it is like an external observer, it is like speaking to someone else, right? So if that voice says, oh, you should be ashamed of yourself, how could you have this fantasy? Oh my God, that's crazy. So you say, thank you. I love you. I know you're trying to protect me. And tell me, what can I learn from this? And if you really pay attention, if you do it in a like half meditative state, or you really take the time to breathe and to be inside your own mind, the insights that come are really incredible. Because it could be like, oh, well, you know, some people might judge you. If you talk about this stuff on a podcast and you tell people about this and that, some people might judge you. So I'm here to protect you from that judgment. But then if you say, you know what, I actually don't care that people might judge me, that I know that I'm living in my power, that I'm authentic and I say the truth, then I don't care about other people. So then you teach your inner critic that she can calm down and she can stop protecting you so much. And it is a form of self-love mm. for 100%. me. 100%. Beautiful. I, I can attest to this, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, the two methods that you were talking about, I had practiced both. Yeah. Initially, it was when I couldn't stop crying. Like, I'll be in the Uber, I'm crying. I'll be on the way to meet my friends, I'm crying. I'll be in the shower, and I'm crying. And one thing I took from doing the course with Dr. Joe Dispenza was changing the way your wire, changing the narrative, changing the story, and changing the patterns. But that requires an interruption. So I grew up with tough love, and it was self-inflicted tough love. I didn't, no one said I needed that tough love. And whenever I had these episodes, I would yell really loudly, like a crazy person maybe, change. Just, I would yell to myself, change, so I could hear it as well. You need that pattern interrupt. I needed something like that. But over time, it's not like it helps forever and it doesn't help in every single context. Because when I did the other method that you talked about, which is showing empathy to yourself, talking to yourself with compassion, I felt a whole different sensation with that. I was in a workshop. We're in the middle of a group meditation and the topic was shame. And I realized I had so much shame around the abortion. I never actually forgave myself. That was the first time I held my belly and I told my belly, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then right away, it felt like my belly had just deflated. Like, oh, is, did I have a balloon in there? <laughs> it's so interesting how the body responds to just something so seemingly simple, yet so much power behind that. So I really hope that people can get to access your course because I attest to how things have changed for myself. And I know that this will help just so many people. It sounds like so silly. I know people will judge it. It's like, oh, how can I talk to myself? That's crazy, you know? But we don't realize that we talk to ourselves all the time, that this dialogue is happening all the time, except that we're not aware of it. We're just allowing that authority to give us these negative messages. But once you interrupt that, the story that you tell yourself about yourself and you speak to yourself with love and you say, I love you, I accept you, it's just transformative. And, you know, as part of this program, I have these 21-day meditations that uh, Sarah has uh, helped me record. <laughs> it's a daily meditation, 10-minute meditation, where we do exactly that. We are, every day we're uh, embracing a part of ourselves, the silly, the crazy, the 
unacceptable, the stinky, the bitchy. And I know from the feedback that I got from people who've started this meditation that it's changing them at the deep level because it is really rewiring your brain to love and accept that part of you. I know because I do it all the time. So, <laughs> And you are actually offering this... Yeah, so the 21-day Inner Queen meditation program is free. Yes. Uh, it's available on my website. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So anyone can access it. It's going to come in your inbox every day and you can access it with a little video. And then the program is also a 21-day uh, self-love program, which consists of, you know, a little homework that you need to do, a little assignment. Like I said, something like write the list of the things that you think you should do and then shift it into once and a whole bunch of other things. I'm not going to go through every single one. But it's really the journey that I've learned in my last eight years of being a coach, starting with teaching people how to find love in others. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly evolved into recognizing that we seek love in others because we need to learn to love ourselves. So mm. I've kind of incorporated in this program all the knowledge, all the things that I've learned about myself mm -hmm. and about other people. And it can happen in 21 days. If you're stuck in quarantine somewhere for 21 days, this is oh, the best program that you can do. That is great. Um, Where is it available? It's, it's available on my new website, which is called happyeveracademy.com. It's basically a relationship school. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to school, but it's full of courses about all the different things. And this is my signature program. So, um, yeah, I think tomorrow I'm going, I don't know if, when this is going to be launched, mm -hmm. but um, definitely I can offer some discount for the mm -hmm. listeners of Better in Bed. So um, in the show notes, we're going to put some yeah. discount code. Okay, let me know. And um, yeah, 30% off. This gets oh, better and amazing. better. I mean, that's yeah. certainly a subject I wish that was taught in school. I think I even so just too. the meditations that are available for free are a great way to just really start with the whole rewiring of the brain process. Exactly. So yeah. it is reprogramming, really. Mm -hmm. So in the meditations, I use a lot of the hypnotic inner child healing techniques mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is like part of the work that I do. And I've applied this stuff to myself. So I know that I love myself more because this stuff has actually been happening in my brain. And I'm happy to share with other people. And it's been such a pleasure to share with you both. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm so proud for you. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't you. wait to do it as well. So time for a final little session, which is our fun speed round, which is called Quickie But Goodie. So everybody has two seconds to just answer these questions off the top of their heads. And we're going to do these ones around the theme of self-love. So let's go straight into it. One thing that you're grateful for in terms of your sexuality or sex life. My sex toys. Oh, okay. Sensual dance. Oh, Ooh. I'm going to say uh, squirting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I have but to I, do that. My, my couch too. is not grateful, but I am grateful. <laughs> <laughs> um, number two. The body part that you love the most on yourself and why? My ass. Oh, okay. Why? Because, um, yeah, it's cute. Because <laughs> I've been working yes, on it a lot. It is. Can, I can testify to that. It is cute. <laughs> it's a tie for me. It's a head, my head and my ass. Uh, oh. My head gets me in the senses. My mm. ass gets me in the mood. Mm. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, nice. well, you know, shake that ass, baby. <laughs> I love that asses are featuring very prominently <laughs> on this. You? I also love my ass, but in general, I'm going to say I love my shapeliness. So it's kind of like curves in. For you know, me, I've like never all been fatter right than place. now, but I've never loved myself more. <laughs> so I love my curves as well. And the fact that I still have two boobs. Absolutely. Nice. What is your favorite mantra or affirmation that you use? I am love. Oh, okay. Nice. I have so many. Yeah. But it's not so much of a mantra. I guess okay. it's more of a, is this helping me be the person I aspire to be? That's more mm -hmm. of a, a question prompt. Okay. I always say I am enough. That also is, I think, something I need to remind myself yeah. of. One thing that you want to let go of this year. We're still roughly in the beginning of the year. So one, ooh, everybody has to straighten up and think I know, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow, that um, one is a bit of a toughie, maybe. I'll go first. One thing that I want to let go of is my imposter syndrome. Okay. I was going to say something around this 
fear of being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely working on that. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the thought processes that don't serve me anymore. Mm -hmm. Good one to let go of. Yeah. One thing that you're most proud of or passionate about? Um, the work that I do, the fact that I can help mm -hmm. people. Yeah. I'm definitely, that gives me a lot of fire. Mm. Beautiful. Discovering purpose mm -hmm. and really living by yeah. it. Yeah. So now beautiful. it gets me fired up. <laughs> now I get why you guys doing what you do. Yeah, yeah. And the hopefully more you're going to do more of it yourself. On yeah. the verge of it. <laughs> on the verge, on the verge. And for me, it's actually my podcast because it's been doing really well. And, you know, I get so many people telling me that it's really helped them. So, oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's transformational mm -hmm. and life-changing. Okay. As it was for Emily yeah. and for me. <laughs> Thank so you. So see, you're you're uh, a facilitator of uh, awakening and yeah. enlightenment. And connection. And connection. The yeah. ripple effect and it always comes back. Yeah. So thanks so much, Valentina and Emily, for joining me today. What a beautiful, beautiful episode. And just a... Full of self-love, actually. I actually felt really loved up just <laughs> recording this episode. So, listeners, if you have a question or some feedback for me on the show, you can find me at Hello Sarah Sands on Instagram or you can drop me a line at sarahsense.com. Also, if you missed something today, do check out the episode summary and the show notes on my website because that will give you links to everything that we talked about and you can go back and see all the timestamps of everything keep track of the entire flow of this conversation because this is a pretty chunky episode i think which has gone from darkness to light to yeah. darkness to laughter but isn't but that life that's life it's beautiful that's I love life. It. and that's exactly what self-love is about embracing the darkness and the light exactly, exactly. it's not about the performance it's about the human experience so if you enjoyed this podcast and want to support the work that I do to normalize the conversations we have around sex, please subscribe, share, write a review, or buy me a coffee. In fact, I would love it if you did all of these things and joined me in building a more sex-positive world. And until next time, I think we could all do with a lot more self-love, so let's make it a daily practice because it's the foundation for getting better in bed. Hell Thanks, yeah. everyone! Mm -hmm.